Welcome once again to the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast in partnership with Everything Financial. I'm your host, John Abbott, with the president of Everything Financial, Mr. Peter Sashecki. And Peter, we've had a hot start to the new year as well. We want to thank everybody uh, before we get into episode 13 for the the uh, all the love on the previous uh, 12 episodes, including starting new year with the uh, resolution list, which uh, again, I think was so fantastic. And then episode number 12 with Vitri Tron from Everything Mortgages, another division of Everything Financial. Uh, that is percolating uh, really at any time of the year, but I think so many people right now taking another look at uh, their financial landscape and so awfully important on that one. So thanks for all those who have listened, subscribed, and you can check us out at the Everything Financial YouTube channel as well. Peter, uh, today, this is one that is close to your heart. It's RSP uh, season somewhat, and there are a lot of uh, myths. There are certainly a lot of fact that you're going to bring us uh, when it comes to RSP season. Uh, so I know that you're excited to get into episode 13. Yeah, I'll try and control my rants today. But a RSP season, which in itself right there, John, you said it, RSP season is one of the biggest myths there is because it makes people think they can only buy RSPs during February because there's some magic number about March 1st or the end of February that they have to do it by then. It, and here we go with the rant. Here I go. It's the most oversold false thing promoted by the banks and has been for years. RSPs are part of a financial plan. They are not a magic product you buy that, by the way, you overpay during RSP season, supply and demand. It's like Valentine's Day. Roses are ridiculously, ridiculously more expensive on February 14th. Buying RSPs at the end of February are ridiculously more expensive because you're overpaying because everyone's putting into the market. Look at traditionally over the years, the markets at the end of February. They are through the roof. RSPs need to be part of a 12-month strategy for your overall plan, not something you buy during a three-day swing in February every year. There, I feel better now. I ranted. Hopefully, people save one rose to give to you as their financial planner. Outside of that, I think we get the analogy, and uh, yeah, we're just getting you started, Peter. So we're going to enjoy <laughs> this uh, this this heated. I can't get heated with you, but it, we'll we'll uh, bring <laughs> some of these, we'll bring some of these things to light as far as RSP. Uh, season goes. And uh, how about another buzz term then, Peter, when you're being told to maximize your RSPs? Uh, what does that make you think? Makes me cringe. Uh, talk about a sales ploy. It's happened to me before in the bank last year. And I think I, I talked about this on TSN when it happened. I walked into the bank, person didn't even look at me, the teller, remember, we call them a teller because they're definitely not a listener, looked at me and said, have you maximized your RSPs yet? And they said, well, that's a stupid question. Why would you ask me that? And her response was, well, if you don't maximize your RSPs, how are you going to retire? I cringed. I just said, and then I went off on her, unfortunately, which probably wasn't the nicest thing to do, but those things burned me because it's not to anyone's benefit. Maximizing your RSPs is not a retirement strategy. It's a commission strategy for the financial person at the bank. I said, what if you don't need to maximize your RSPs? Figuring out, you should be figuring out what you need to buy in RSPs, not maximizing. There's many people who have a great retirement and almost don't buy any RSPs at all. Because guess what? They have a pension plan. 
They have CPP and old age security. They may have um, equity from selling a piece of property that's actually tax-free. They may have an inheritance. So maximizing your RSP is not a strategy, it's a sales ploy. What you need to be figuring out when buying an RSP, and I know we'll get into this, um, is actually how much you should buy, not just for your plan, but how much you should buy in RSPs to get the proper tax benefit. Buying RSPs at a 40% tax bracket and buying so much in RSPs because you maximize them, that it puts you into a 32% tax bracket means you're getting 8% less of a refund, which means Canadian Revenue Agency is paying you 8% less back on your money. John, do you know how hard it is in this day and age to consistently earn 8%? It's difficult. Why would you just want to give the money away to the government? Because you put the maximum into your RSPs. Just doesn't make any sense. That's a great, uh, that's a great transition point into then if it's not the max, what are some factors that go into determining uh, how much you should put in if indeed that's the direction you're going? Well, let's go with the simple rule first. If you're, the idea with an RSP is tax deferment which means you're not paying taxes on that money now. You're growing the money and not paying taxes on the growth. It's not tax-free though. You're deferring the taxes for a later date, which is the date you take out the money. So if you're in the lowest tax bracket, BC here, 45, 46, $47,000 area, so you make less than that, and you're in the lowest tax bracket, the first thing you should do is not buy RSPs. That's the last thing you should do. Because think about it. Think about this logically, not from a sales point of view. Think about this from a tax point of view. You'd be buying the RSPs in the lowest tax bracket. The only benefit is, okay, maybe you'll get to cash them in, still in the lowest tax bracket. But what if you accumulate enough in RSPs, you're cashing them in at a 28% tax bracket and you bought them at a 20% tax bracket. It's gonna actually cost you money not save you money. Again, don't look at it as, as a sales thing. Look at it as a tax a deferment. So that's the first thing. The next thing you look at is you've got to work with your registered financial planner and figure out what tax bracket you're in and buy just enough in RSPs to not drop too much in taxes now. We have a lot of tax brackets in BC. It's very confusing. But maybe if you drop 2% because you buy some extra RSPs, that's okay, because it's only costing you a little bit of money. And again, you're growing that money tax deferred. But to drop 8, 9, 10, 12% is ludicrous. And I'll give you an exact example. A person came in to see us last year, and we and just a new person from the radio, and he wanted to buy $25,000 in RSPs. He was a very high tax bracket, got a massive bonus, making good money. The $25,000 in RSPs gave them about $11,300 refund because we figure out the refund for people right away. That's how you figure out how much to buy in RSPs. Great refund. He had so much money and had so much room. He said, why don't I put in another $25,000 and I'm going to be getting about $22,000, $23,000 in my, in my refund. That's huge. He, sa he says, my $50,000 RSPs really only cost me you know, $27,000, $28,000 because I got this big refund. By adding in $25,000 more, he dropped so many tax brackets, it increased his refund by 
$300. So basically on the second $25,000, he made nothing in taxes. There's an example of not maxing out your RSPs. Makes absolutely no sense in that case. So tax needs to be the first discussion when in RSPs. That is crazy. And uh, I'm glad you brought that story up uh, because that's how easy it can happen um, in this, in this process. And, and it seems like it's an, e it's an easy thing. It's a well-advised thing. So if you're not going the RSP route, uh, one of the other ways you can go is to TFSA. Can you insert yourself in that conversation and why that could work or, or maybe how you, how you should set things up? Well, one of the keys we mentioned earlier is not waiting to the end of the year to buy your RSPs because the market's overinflated. But that doesn't mean you don't want to get your money invested. You still want your money invested. Um, right now in 2021, I mean, you have a lot of room in TFSAs. It just went up by another $6,000 this year. Um, so we're close to almost you know, 69500 You know, a large amount of money you can have over your lifetime into a TFSA. And you think about it, that's you in a TFSA. Your spouse could be putting money in a TFSA too because you don't have to be working if you're a one-income family, kind of like the, the Abbott family these days <laughs> with, with chip raising children. Right. So, so why not, if you're not sure and you haven't been able to get the advice yet or figure out the taxes on what to put into an RSP, put it into a TFSA, but don't do the bank crap of a tax-free savings account where they're giving you 1%. The TFSA should really be called the tax-free investment account. TFSA should be looked at as a long-term investment where you're making good money. Because with a TFSA, you never pay tax on the growth. Well, why have growth of 1%? What's the point in a savings account? So invest your money in a TFSA like you would invest your money in any other long-term investment like an RSP. And then at the end of the year, you could move that money over to an RSP at that point, because you do need the tax deduction, but at least the money in the meantime is invested and making something. That's the key. So use a TFSA to feed your RSP when you need to, uh, when it makes tax sense to buy more RSPs, have it come from your TFSA. You get the best of both worlds that way. We made it through pretty calmly. So I hope this, this doesn't uh, grab the bull by the horns a little bit here, seeing red. Should you borrow from the bank? I feel like, uh, I feel like that statement is, uh, that question is uh, beginning things here. Should you borrow from the bank to fund your RSP? Not if you don't have to, not a chance, because what the bank wants you to do, borrow from them, pay interest, but guess what the banks won't let you do? Then they put you into a high-priced embedded fee mutual fund. Or worse, they put you into an interest-type account. So your interest that you're paying on the loan may wipe out any of the gains of what you're investing in. The problem is, it's your money. You should have choice where to invest the money. So if you, put it, if you borrow from the bank, they're going to force you, because they have the handcuffs on you, to invest with them. Look at setting up, we've talked about this in earlier episodes, um, home equity line of credits, things like that. Look at setting up your financial plan so you have the availability to borrow from yourself to buy an RSP. Look at having an investment. We talked just a minute ago about a TFSA. So imagine this, 
you have $50,000 in your TFSA, and let's say you make four, five, six thousand dollars, or over a couple of years, you've made even ten thousand dollars of profit. But you need an RSP now, and you maybe didn't need an RSP before. Borrow from yourself. It's not really borrowing, but you're selling off the profit in the TFSA now to fund your RSP. So the TFSA made you money tax free. You took the tax free growth in your TFSA. And you now created a tax refund in your RSP. Way better than getting locked into something at the bank and giving them money. That's not to say though, sometimes it is not beneficial, but don't do it because it's a sales ploy. Do it after consultation with your registered financial planner, make it part of your plan where it makes tax sense. Sometimes that first time out, you might need to borrow just to leapfrog ahead to where you need to be, but make it part of an overall plan, not a knee-jerk reaction to purchase because you've been in the habit doing it all the time. And think about this. Now I am going to get riled up. What favor is the freaking bank doing for you when they call you to get you to borrow money? Where were they the other 11 months of the year when you needed financial advice and needed a financial plan? It's a sales ploy. Don't fall into it. You're smarter than that. Make it part of a financial plan. It's your money. Quit giving it away to the commission salespeople who just want to sell you a product and lock you in. Because I tell you what, once the banks get you in there with this never-ending cycle of borrowing, investing, borrowing, investing, it's almost impossible to get your money out. And the only person who's really making money is the bank. I had a person a couple months ago came in dealing with mutual funds for 20-something years and they were being told how much they were making all that time. They kept the receipts. Pretty good work by the person, pretty diligent. They kept the receipts of all their RSP deposits. 20 something years in incredible growth markets, a little over 20 years in this case, they made under 2% per year. They were being told how great things were going, how much money they were making. Well, Commission salesperson at the bank was getting 5% commission on every deposit into those DSC mutual funds. Client basically made nothing all those years. Yeah, they made some tax refunds. That's great. But they actually never made real profit on their money. So who really makes the money? You or the sale, the commission salesperson? Nine times out of 10 is the commission salesperson. That was pretty good. PG for PC. Uh, Peter Soshecki joining us at the uh, every, at the Your Money Personal Finance podcast uh, from Everything Financial. You mentioned mutual funds. I think that's another avenue that you're uh, consistently steered down. That may not be the right choice, though. Well, here's the thing. In Canada, they've worn out their welcome. I know we make fun of the U.S. We make fun of other countries in the world. But other countries in the world have actually made some roads into these mutual funds where they've stripped out the fees. They've made it where it's full disclosure. They've made it where you can no longer sell DSC, deferred sales commission mutual funds, which there's nothing deferred about them. The person's getting their sales commission. And if you transfer your money, they keep their sales commission. You're the one paying back the fee to cover that commission. So there's nothing deferred in that. Canada needs to step up and do that. There's, there's people out there who take offense to these rants I do on radio and TV about embedded fees, but for a fact, the embedded fees are still there. There's still taxes. There's still trading fees. There's nothing fully disclosed yet in Canada about the fees in mutual funds. 
There's a fun fact you can get from your salesperson. I've yet to meet a person who ever got one that shows you the trading fees, the taxes, the embedded um, marketing fee that mutual fund companies put in, which are buried so deep in the prospectus. Good job in trying to find it. Do you know in the last six months, there was two mutual fund companies fined. So kudos on the agencies for finding them because the prospectus were made so confusing. People couldn't find the fees. So that's a good start, but we need to get better. Here's the thing. The banks and mutual funds tell you your money is not protected by going to the independent portfolio managers. That's 100% BS. That's crap. Your money's protected the same way. Your money's protected as long as your investment company, your dealer, your portfolio manager, who if people aren't dealing with a portfolio manager, I have no clue why. They should be. They just probably don't know yet that they're available. But your money's protected because they're not holding your money. In Canada, you have to use a custodian. A custodian is like the vault. And these are the registered banks, but they're not going to call you and try and sell you stuff. Like if you go deal with a bank for your mutual funds, they'll have this other division that say your money is held with XYZ. That's the custodian part of the bank. And that's a good thing. That's where your money's protected. But you can go to an independent, it's called an investment council planning model is what it's referred to. But for short, we call it portfolio manager. An independent company who works with your registered financial planner, you invest your money there, they do the investments and they are the only ones in Canada who are a fiduciary. They have to, they don't answer to the registered financial planner. They answer directly to the securities commission and they answer to you, the client. They have to, by law, disclose 100% of their fees on the statements. And this is where the banks get you sometimes, where the banks will go, if you're dealing with a portfolio manager, they'll go, look at the fees you're paying. You wouldn't be paying those fees with us. Uh, yeah, you are. They just don't have to tell you about them. I said, they are remembered. Again, they're the only fiduciaries. The beauty of it is banks will say to you, this is again crap, that, oh, they only deal with people 500000 or a million dollars up. Untrue. You can now deal with independent portfolio managers in Canada from dollar one, right from the beginning, with very, very low cost, actively managed portfolios. There's no reason to deal with mutual funds in Canada any longer, and your money is protected the exact same way because it's held with a custodian, not with the advisor, not with the registered financial planner, not with the portfolio manager even. Yeah, they're trading the money. They're making the decisions on the portfolio, but they're not holding the money. The money is in the vault or with the custodian. Great thing to find out if you're not sure about it. Email me at Everything Financial Planning at Everything Financial. I'll send you the information on what these portfolio managers do. You don't have to come see us. Yeah, we'd like it. You don't have to. I will gladly send you an email of what a portfolio manager is so you can you know, look it up yourself, educate yourself, and start protecting your money and stop giving it away. Well, that's just it, Peter. Uh, for people that want to find Peter Sashecki at Everything Financial, go to everythingfinancial.com, uh, home of Everything Mortgages as well. But if you'd like to submit questions into the podcast, you can do that by uh, going to your money at everythingfinancial.com. And it's, it's never a bad thing to ask questions. I think that's uh, the other thing in dealing with you, Peter, that you quickly find out is uh, you may not know all the questions to ask, but anything that's top of mind, it should be voiced. And that's not the same relationship you have when you 
uh, sit down with a banking associates. Um, that's why a registered financial planner can be so helpful that way as well, like yourself. Absolutely. And, and one thing we hear quite a bit, and it really burns people, and I, I get why it burns them, is they'll go into the bank, no one will give them the time of day, and they'll have $20,000, $30,000 to invest. And then all of a sudden, they get $100,000, and they get promoted to the next person up the ladder. But then eventually, you know, they get $250,000, and they get promoted to another person up the ladder. Like, what was so wrong with the person at $50,000? Did they not know enough that you suddenly have to get a new person if you get 100 or a new person if you get 250 Or they'll go to the bank and they'll say, I have $100,000 in RSPs I want to invest. And the bank will go, I'm sorry, you need to have $250,000. We don't deal with that kind of you know, money. It's not enough for us. That, that I just, I hear it all the time. I'm amazed. And what people even find more amazing, and I just have to somehow break down this myth that you can come into everything financial with 10 bucks. I don't care. I want to treat a 10,000 or $10 investment the same as a million dollar investment. Everybody needs advice and start out at the beginning. I said, we don't have that pompous attitude that if you don't have enough money, there's no such thing as you don't have enough money. It's your money. Whatever bit you have, no matter how small you may think it is, you worked hard for it. It's your money. And no one should ever turn up their nose at you to say, you don't have enough. Sorry, we can't give you that advice. We can't help you. The job as a registered financial planner and, and kind of the motto of everything financial is we turn, in, turn away no one. We try and educate everyone. Now, I will sort of put the caveat on that by saying there's some people where we may interview you and we go, you know what? We're just not the right fit for you. And I had one of those just the other day. And you know why we weren't the right fit? The person just wanted us to look after their investments and dictate to us what we're going to do with them. Go to the bank for that. Go to a broker for that. We're about educating you about building a proper, well-structured financial plan with our Omni formula that moves with you, that changes with your life, that's proactive, not reactive, and informs you and educates you. If you want someone who's, I look, we look at it, we make the joke, we're like luggage. Once you have us, you have us forever. Someone who moves with you and changes with your lifestyle, that's us. If you want to dictate to the person what you're going to get and tell them what product you're going to buy, or you just want to be sold a product, that's not us. We'd rather turn away that business. We want people who want serious answers and serious solutions for the issues they're having financially. That's what a registered financial planner does. That's what we do. We don't push a product down your throat. So much so that no one in our company is a commissioned salesperson. All of our advisors are salaried employees who have profit sharing as we've been fortunate. The company keeps growing. And we also have full disclosure. If we do collect commission as a company on something, let's not go into the, the mutual or the RSPs here because we won't sell mutual funds, but the portfolios, but you need insurance for mortgage or disability insurance because you don't have any at work and we receive a commission on that, we are obligated to disclose that to you. Shouldn't you always be told what the person is getting paid, what they're earning? I, I, I can't understand this, where it became taboo to say, I was getting paid for what I was doing. I don't get that. Do you get that, John? I mean, I know when you do your stuff on TSN and you do your World Juniors and you just have, I think 
if I'm not mistaken, PSN pays you, don't they? Or else <laughs> you wouldn't be, required, be having yes. you wouldn't be having 19 children like you're about to have your next one. Um, because it probably feels like 19 some days. But but when you're going to a bank and someone says, Oh, there's no fees, we don't get give your head a shake, people. No fees. Are you kidding me? So apparently the big banks have towers everywhere and no one got paid and no one got a fee. As soon as some, someone says to me, we don't get paid for that. I go, there's no way that's true. I said, people get paid. People don't work for free. I said, but you should be disclosed when someone gets paid, it should be disclosed to you. So go to the portfolio managers, go to a registered financial planner, Go to those people who have it in their, their rules that they have to disclose in writing what they get paid. Our letter of engagement shows exactly what it costs to do a job and a plan and when we design it and the job that goes into it. And it shows exactly what we're going to make ongoing from different things we recommend. That's just fair. You get your car fixed. You, want to, you don't want to get your car fixed and get a bill for five grand and go, what did I pay for? Oh, we didn't really charge you anything. That's just what it cost. Well, you want to know what those items are. You want to find out if you're paying $7.95 for a washer or 20 bucks for the, a hose or whatever the case may be. Financial planning, your finances are your most important asset besides your health. Let's make sure you know what's going into it. You know always what you're paying and you're getting full value for what you're paying. No one begrudges anyone making money if they're getting value for the buck they're spending. That's the key. Personal care, personal guidance, the Omni formula is there. It's your GPS. That is your stapled everything, financial.com. Uh, but personal is what I keep coming back to. It is you and the client. And as you say, I think that's a, a pretty fun description, like the luggage uh, travel around through the ups and downs and uh, help, help you get to where you want to go, which is always that sunny destination at the end of it as well. We're chatting uh, with Peter Sashecki, as we always do on the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. He's the president of Everything Financial. You can find him at everythingfinancial.com. Uh, we are talking on the subject of RSPs. And uh, Peter, I'm wondering, what is your idea of the proper amount? I know it depends on the person, but what's your idea of a good amount uh, to invest in RSPs? And what's the best rate of return there? How do you, how do you determine those? Well, the best way to return is figuring out, first thing you do is what came first, the chicken or the egg, John. So the best way to do this is not the best amount of RSPs, not the best rate of return. It's what do you need? That's the key. So what you do is you design your financial plan and your financial plan should really be, what's the lowest amount I can actually get for a rate of return? Now you're going to think, what the heck? He's lost his mind. Well, here's the thing. If you start chasing returns and start chasing high rates of return, you bring in volatility. So if you can figure out what you need to put away, what you need to get for a rate of return, that's actually the proper amount. So if, if you build a plan with your registered financial planner and you can meet all your goals by only earning 5% on your RSPs and only putting away $7,500 a year, let's say, because of your pension and you have TFSAs and all the other things that come into play, then have the portfolio manager design a plan that's lower risk, that targets 5%, that's based on you putting away $7,500 a year. If you don't need to earn 10 or 12, why chase 10 or 12 and all the volatility that goes with that? Now, if that portfolio manager earns you 
seven, eight, nine, 10, or 12 one year, I'm not going to say, no, thanks, I don't need it. But then you take that money and you structure it in part of your plan where it's there for a rainy day or to give you a backup. But the amount of you need is, is whatever the plan dictates. And the, all the portfolio managers I work with, when they get asked questions like that, say, I don't know, ask Peter. They said, build your plan. And they sit in on the meetings when we build a plan so that they know the exact type of portfolio to build to fit the client's needs. That's the key. So there is no exact answer because it's different for everyone. Build the plan first, then figure out the need and you'll cover all your bases. And then you don't have to take on unnecessary risk, which can cause you a lot of stress because nothing would be worse than opening up a statement and go, holy crap, I just, I'm down. You didn't really lose, but because you didn't sell it, but I'm down 20%. No one needs that stress. Stress. Slow and steady wins the race. And that starts with a well-thought-out, well-designed plan from a registered financial planner. Are there tax implications people should know about? Yeah, the tax implications with the RSP are when you cash it in. That's an implication. Like when you go to spend the money, you're going to have to pay taxes back. So here's something, uh, uh, one of those misconceptions people say, and a lot of salespeople who aren't licensed to sell mutual funds because they can't sell the RSPs will use this as well all the time, is well, you're just going to pay all that tax back later on. That's crap. I said, everyone I work with pays way less tax, the clients I'm talking about, when they cash in their RSPs versus when they buy their RSPs. The key to an RSP, buy it in a high tax bracket, cash it in a low tax bracket. That's the key. Because then if there's tax implications, you're paying tax back, yeah. But if I can buy my RSP and I'm in a 40% tax bracket, so I'm getting 40% back on my taxes, and I cash it in in a 20% tax bracket, forget the money I've made by the deferral of the, the money all the way along. I've also made you know 20% in taxes along the way. That's a huge benefit. So the key to RSPs and not having tax implications is really buying your RSP, say in a 40% tax bracket, cashing them in in a 20% tax bracket. And besides the money you make on the deferred interest and the growth in the RSP over the way, you also make 20% on tax. So don't buy into that crap from people that you're going to pay just as much in tax when you cash in your RSPs as you do when you buy your RSPs. That's garbage. That's why you go see a registered financial planner. They take all that into account when designing the RSPs as part of your overall financial plan. But there are times when you can cash in RSPs and pay no taxes at all even though you're not retired. That's a key point too. Peter, let's get to uh, maybe the, the item that people really enjoy hearing and that's refund. And what happens, uh, what happens when you get to that uh, point of the receiving uh, refund for this and, and the math that goes with it, how do you break down an RSP refund? Um, you go get a new 60 inch television apparently. <laughs> that's one thing you do, but realistically, let's imagine you're in a 35% tax bracket. We're just gonna pick something middle of the road for people to make the math simple. So what that means is if you're in a 35% tax bracket and you put $1,000 into an RSP, you should expect a $350 refund. Now, caution, don't be mad at your financial advisor and your registered financial planner or your tax specialists if you put in $1,000 and you get nothing back because that doesn't mean you didn't get a refund. That means you actually would have owed money 
in the first place. So the refund is coming against what you owe. It still does mean in a 35% tax bracket, $1,000 is getting you $350 back. And the other caveat to that is a good refund does not, does not mean you have a really smart accountant or a really good registered financial planner. A good, big, sizable refund means you didn't do proper planning and you let the government sit on that money for a year. But the math is simple. Whatever your tax bracket is, that's the percentage that you will generate in a refund. It could be added to money you were already going to get back or reduce how much you were going to pay because maybe you worked a lot of overtime when you're in a 42% tax bracket, but your employer just keeps taking off money at the 35% level. Well, you might owe some tax at the end of the year and that's where an RSP can offset it. One more thing, John, because I thought about this because this comes up all the time. People who work for companies, maybe in a sales role or a management role of some sort, and they're given um, car allowances, gas allowances. So those things get added to your income at the end of the year. You should really talk to the person who's doing your financial plan about offsetting that money with RSPs. Because if you're given a $15,000 car allowance, well, you're going to get T Ford for that car allowance, but there's no tax that's come off your check it's extra taxable income that there's been no tax taken off of. So you got to look at what your tax rate is and go, geez, I better offset some of that car allowance with an RSP. Getting the car allowance is nice, but you got to plan for the taxes. I like that because man, that's an easy one to breeze over and, uh, you know, address it as, okay, well, this is just part of the price of having this uh, separate uh, benefit through work and not understanding how you can take advantage or how you need to make up for that on the other side. Uh, we we're talking RSP season with Peter Sashaki from Everything Financial, president of Everything Financial, Everything Mortgages as well, and uh, key uh, to talk about mortgages because we ask uh, when should you take money out of RSPs and how does that apply to something like involving your home in this matter? Uh, great question, John. So one way you can take money out of your RSPs is the first time home buyers purchase. So you're, you can withdraw now up to $35,000. You have to qualify for the first time home buyers. So you're not paying tax on that money, but it, it's not tax free. So let's use the simple math that used to be in place here. And let's just use $15,000 because I like simple um, for people. So if, if you've never bought a house, you're a first time home buyer, and you're going to take $15,000 out of your RSP. And you're going to put that towards the down payment. Well, that money is temporarily tax-free. So that's one way to take money out of an RSP. A year will go by, and then you have to start repaying that RSP money back into a RSP plan of some sort. Because if not, one-fifteenth of that money, so that's why I used $15,000, $1,000 a year is going to be taxable. So that, and then all of a sudden that withdrawal from your RSP is not tax-free. So realize when you buy the house, if you use RSP money, you're going to have an added bill every year to pay back. So what that means is, and I just gave this example to a listener the other day, is if you owe $1,000 and you put $2,500 into your RSP, you know, we talked about the refund just a minute ago, you're only going to get a refund on the, 50, the extra $1,500 the first thousand, you're just replacing that repayment. It's not really income or it is income if you don't replay it, rep repay it. 
So don't think you're going to get a refund based on 2,500 if you owe a thousand for your home buyer's plan, only on the 1,500 uh, gives you the refund. The other thing to do with that though, say you've got a big lump sum of money, you have lots of room, whatever the case may be, and you go, well, I'll just pay the whole 15,000 back this year and get it over with. Why? There's no point. If you're putting, if you have 15 grand to put into an RSP and only a thousand was qualified for the homeowner's payback, well, then the other $14,000 you're getting a nice tax refund on. So you don't have to pay it back. And this is one of the key things that should be involved in when you're designing a financial plan is how to pay back money and how to schedule it so the debt doesn't own you, you're in control of the debt. And that's one of the ways to do that. And interesting, John, there is another way that I think a lot of people will be interested in how to take money out of an RSP for free. And it's nothing fancy. It's real simple. Take a guess what this one is. You should know this one being that new baby, you know, three kids, your spouse at home, I'm sure running the show, looking after things. But think about this one. And you're the perfect example. Your spouse is at home, but they were in the working world a while ago and they have lots of RSP money deposited, but now they're not making any money. Well, there's a thing called your personal exemption. Um, 12, five to 13,000, it's right in there somewhere, of money that you earn in a year, your first 12, five or $13,000 of income that you don't pay tax on. See where I'm going with this now? Yeah. Your spouse could withdraw money from their RSP if they have no other source of income and not pay any taxes because it's part of their personal exemption. Now, the investment company by law with CRA will require you to have a withholding tax. So you're going to lose some of that money. But then when you, when you file your taxes at the end of the year, you're going to get that withholding tax back. So an extra way people never think of, of how to take money out of an RSP and never pay taxes on it. That's brilliant. Money. I love it. And as, as we're talking about this, I think one of the other things that comes up and we, we touched on it previously a little bit, but, um, Sometimes people are in a rush to take it out uh, upon retirement and they have all these grand plans. And that's not necessarily bad, but uh, the, the tax implications that we keep talking about uh, in this case are important to remember, Peter. Yeah, right, John. The best way to make money is don't give it away in the first place. The second way is don't pay all the fees, but we're on, we're on taxes today. So fees are another thing, but if you, if you rush it and you put yourself in too high of a tax bracket, you're eliminating all those tax deferral savings from buying an RSP, say in a 35 or 40% bracket and cashing it in in a 20% bracket. Make cashing in your RSP part of your plan that you should be working on from the beginning. Okay, I'm gonna have X amount of RSPs when I retire, theoretically. I'm gonna have X amount of pension from my employer when I retire. I have CPP old age security. There's four things in retirement that are all taxable. So you know what you need to complement that? You need some tax-free money at retirement. TFSA, non-registered or what we call taxable investments where you've paid the gains. You have to supplement the taxable money with a whole bunch of tax-free money so you're not giving everything you earn back in taxes because it's, it's bad planning if you buy your RSPs in a 35% tax bracket, we'll stick with the theme today, and you cash them in in a 
35% tax bracket. Yeah, it's grown tax deferred, but you never really beat the government. And we all like to beat the government. So proper planning doesn't start at 65 for retirement and how to spend the money and how to save money on taxes. That proper planning starts when you're 35 or 40 years old with a long-term projective. So if someone's just talking about buy more RSPs, you got to max out on the RSPs to get there down the road. What are you doing? Like they're not thinking about the long-term plan. They're thinking about the commission. I said, there's lots more involved in retirement than just RSPs. So that's what you have to think about. Ask your financial advisor, what else should I be doing? How much should I have in TFSAs versus RSPs? How much should I have in just savings versus RSPs? Because it's not just about the savings now, it's about the savings later. And do not start out in a 48 or now in BC, the highest tax bracket, 53.5. Cringe when I say that, it gives me the willies. I think I just throw it up in my mouth. Don't, don't be in a 53% bracket and think I'm going to buy so much in RSPs, I'm going to put myself in 35%. Remember, and I've said this through this episode and other episodes, you just let the government off the hook by giving you 18% less. Making 18% would not be a gift. Don't give it away to the government. Keep some of that for next year. Yeah, there's a few major themes in this one that carry over to different podcasts as well. But uh, the one about not maxing them out, I think you've hit on a few times. And then, of course... Don't give your money away uh, if you don't have to. Be wise about this. And that's why you can help, Peter. Uh, when you sit people down in front of you, it's not just talking at them. It's not just steering them to one direction. It's learning about them and helping them. And I think so when, I, when we go through this, especially RSPs, a lot of it needs to be teaching moments. And, and you can do that at Everything Financial, whether it's in-person, uh, virtual appointments right now is, is the best way, I think, to, to be set yep. up with you. But you really do take the time for each individual client, don't you? I do. And, and I mean, when we started all this four or five years ago, when we first met, um, yeah, it was 2000, end of 2016. So we're getting there four and a half years ago. The whole thing was we said, and I, and I say this and you've known me long enough, I always say it's your money. And it is. The whole start of this thing with TSN and whatnot we're doing with your money and this podcast now is educating people. Everyone's not going to come to us. I like when they come to us and see us and it keeps us busy and keeps my staff busy, but these things go out to a lot of people. My job is to educate the people and teach them the questions to ask their advisor. There are a ton of good advisors out there. There's a ton of people who just want to help, but they can't read minds and, and it's your money. You're the one with the power. You have to know the questions to ask so you can understand things better. And that's the whole key because you know, that's knowledge. And the more important thing is knowing some of these things and educating yourself puts you at ease. It calms you down. The, the uncertainty is one of the worst. If you don't know what's going on, you don't know how long your money will last or what to do with it. That creates a lot of sleepless nights. Watching these and other things and, and learning about this stuff and learning the questions to ask can only help you and cause less stress. And if that causes less stress, that allows you to travel more no health problems. It's a good circle. And guess what? Then you can spend more of your money because you will have more of your money. And the best part is you don't have to make a trip real far, just uh, like you and I are right now in front of our computer to set up an appointment with uh, you or, or your staff at Everything Financial. Of course, go to everythingfinancial.com. But uh, Peter, maybe shed some light on the virtual appointments that are happening now. Yeah, that's how we're doing about 90% of them. As you can see, apparently I'm in the Swiss Alps. Um, I got a lot of sun on my face from skiing. That's what people think sometimes, even though I'm in Langley 
or from our office in White Rock or Victoria or, or when we're working at another office we have or other office out of the country. But we will meet people anywhere. We have a great team, great staff. No one here is a commission salesperson. Everyone works for the good of the client as a team. Everyone's salaried and just works for the growth of the company and the client. And pick up the phone. There's six of us who do the, the meetings and the introductions and, and teach you what's going on. We will always find a way to, to fit somebody in, um, but there's no pressure. We will give you an introduction to the Omni formula, let you know what it's all about and what the process is of building the Omni formula and the financial plan. And then guess what? We open the door and let you go or turn off the computer and let you go. It's up to you to come back and actually make it happen. And that's what we want. We want you here when you're ready, not before, because then you'll get the full value out of the plan. And it's a slow process. We're not here to browbeat you and force you into anything. Building the Omni formula is about a five meeting process roughly with people. And it's meant to be step-by-step, step, 45 minutes an hour at a time. Every meeting, and this should be everyone in our business, is followed up with an email summary in writing so you know what we talked about. You know what it's about because I don't expect you to remember you have 45 minutes in a meeting with me. You're like my wife. You'll tune me out after 15 minutes, right? You know what that's like, John. <laughs> so the idea is send you the meeting notes after so you can refer back to it later help understand it and move slowly. It is not a rush job to get a financial plan. It's, it's, it's your money. It's part of your life. It's something that's going to carry you through the next 30 or 40 years. Take your time, understand it, and feel free to put the brakes on, not just with me, but any advisor you ever see and you're talking to, if you feel it's too fast, put the brakes on, slow down until you understand it and you're comfortable with your money. You can reach Peter at everythingfinancial.com. We thank you as always for finding us on your favorite podcast platform or on our Everything Financial YouTube channel. You can quiz Peter on a weekly, maybe even a daily basis uh, by submitting questions to our email inbox. We go through them regularly, use them to bring up on each and every podcast as well. We're at episode 13 this time, and it's your money at Everything Financial. Again, that's the uh, email address to include. If you'd like some questions and feedback from uh, Peter, your money at everythingfinancial.com, home of Everything Mortgages as well. Thanks for listening and watching episode 13. And we appreciate it on the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. Thanks, John. Have a great day.